What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zach Cronin. I hope everybody is doing well mentally, physically, and emotionally. I'm back. I took a little bit of some time off. Most, More specifically, I took a week off. I went ahead. I went on vacation with my family last week. I got engaged. I contracted bronchitis, so it was a very eventful couple of days for me. I did miss it. I did miss just talking about basketball, talking about current issues, talking about just like social commentary and stuff like that. Um, I didn't really, I haven't really been on social media the last week, especially Twitter. I've just kind of taken this time as like a little bit of a summer break, I suppose, to kind of just disconnect from everything, unwind, hang out, be present with the family and just really enjoy myself. But after a while, no bullshit, it did get kind of boring and I was just itching to come back on here and talk about the goings-on around the NBA, around the world itself. But, you know, I kind of slid that little bit of big news under the carpet uh, by very slyly announcing my engagement to my longtime girlfriend. It was all... <laughs> it was... <coughs> pardon me, that's the bronchitis acting up. It was a long time in the works. We've been together... It'll be 10 years next month. And I know 10 years is a very long time, especially not just to be together, but to wait before getting engaged. But we started going out. I was 15. So I will be 26 this October. And, you know, all things considered, it was the right time. We went up to Lake Seneca, which is in northwest New York. It's about five, about five, five and a half hours northwest of New York City. And it was great. A whole, like, my whole dad's side of the family got together. We went, we basically rented, like, this fucking compound, it felt like. And there were about 12 of us or so, and we just hung out. It was absolutely gorgeous. The scenery up there is beautiful. If any of you guys live in the tri-state area, you know, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Jersey, New York, obviously, and you're looking to get away, I just... Every time I go to mainland New York, I am just amazed by how stunning it is, how lush the scenery is, how green the foliage, the views, the mountains, everything about mainland New York is just spectacular. And um, we went on a little hike through Watkins Glen State Park. You know, this was an idea that I formulated with my parents because they had gone last year and they thought that it was absolutely spectacular. So they figured, you know, bring the whole family this time. Why not? Fuck it. Now, going into this, of course, I was expecting Watkins Glen State Park to kind of just be like any other state park, like the Catskills or the Adirondacks or, you know, Bear Mountain or even like some of the parks that we have. Here on Long Island, they have a lot of foliage, they have a lot of scenery, they have just like shit to look at. But Watkins Glen was not that, and I was a little disappointed by it, where it's essentially just like two paths, and you slowly ascend up like the side of a cliff around this, that is essentially this gorge that was carved out by a series of waterfalls. I don't want to make it I don't want it to sound like it wasn't beautiful. It was very it was very gorgeous scenery with like the rock walls and all the different faces and the waterfalls and all that. The waterfalls however were a little underwhelming, I guess because you know some of the locals were saying that it hadn't rained in like 3 weeks or so during the time we were there, so you know there wasn't that much water being squirted over these rocks 
but I'm going through this trail and I'm like super nervous and I was super sick the day before. I don't know if it was COVID or if it was just being like sleep deprived, but I had the chills. I was sweating. I thought I was going to die. I literally thought I was going to die, but it was also because I was being overdramatic. I hadn't eaten that day. I hadn't really slept well the night before. So it was just a combination of those two things. And then also it was 90 plus degrees while we were there and it was just not a fun time that first day. But you know, the second day I got over all that. And then I'm just anxious about like, where the fuck am I going to propose? So we get to the end of this trail and my parents were talking about this set of train tracks that they had seen when they went on their trip previously. Now these train tracks, I thought they that they were like part of the park and they were not so we may or may not have done a little bit of trespassing uh there wasn't there weren't any signs up but it was kind of you know i'm not sure i'm not so sure i should elaborate anymore on this before the fucking fbi comes and breaks down my door for trespassing on these train tracks but the tracks were atop this bridge and this bridge was a couple hundred feet up in the air and i'm not a big fan of heights that is one of my most <coughs> pardon me that is one of my most crippling phobias is my fear of heights. You know, it's okay if I'm in a plane or whatever, because at that point you're just like too high up where you can't even really rationalize it. But we were on these train tracks and we got about halfway across the bridge and I turn, I turn around and there's this epic view. And I'm using this word epic, like unironically. We were, you know, however many hundred feet up in the air, foliage on both sides and there was just a clear view of the mountains in the background it was absolutely stunning it was a gorgeous view and uh i turned around and i popped a question and there we go and she said yes fortunately uh i well you know i was kind of hoping that she would say yes i mean we joke that you know <laughs> we like to joke that she should have said no just for the memes you know wasting all this time 10 years or so only to say no and be like, oh, yeah, you know, I just don't want to do this anymore. But no, we've uh, I've been planning this for, you know, quite a while now. I've had it in the back of my head. But uh, yeah, we are now officially fiancés, soon to be husband and wife. I'm thinking 2024, something along the lines of that. And, um, you know, I've been having this thought recently about like the whole engagement thing. And a lot of the times, you know, it's at least with her. The ring she wasn't too particular with, she's like, you know, round stone. That was essentially all that she gave me. She's like, I want something sleek. I want something elegant. I want something simple, something timeless. And the jewelers absolutely knocked it out of the park. It is, a picture is on my Instagram if you guys want to go ahead and check that out. Uh, the link to my Instagram will be in the description of of uh, wherever the fuck this podcast is hosted. But aside from that, she didn't really give me anything else to go on but it was never really the ring for her it was always about the proposal the act of me asking her to spend the rest of you know our lives together and we were there with a bunch of my aunts and my uncles we were actually present with my parents and two of my uncles and then you know the rest of the pack was you know just like resting after the hike so you know everyone's going around giving our congratulations they're like oh my god Antoinette, congratulations congratulations and this is the thing with engagements. Everybody congratulates the girl because this is her moment, and rightfully so. But all she did was wait. <laughs> all she did was wait. She didn't put in any thought to the ring. She didn't buy the ring. She didn't think of the engagement at all. She didn't think about the proposal and all the intricacies of it. No, all she did 
was sit and wait. And that's my thing about engagements. Like, you know, I'm not looking for, you know, a whole celebration, you know, a party and all that. Just be like, oh, hey, you know, good job. And of course, I'm joking. Everybody was very congratulatory towards the both of us and towards me as well for picking out the ring and essentially not fucking it up because that really is the biggest part of the engagement. It's the ring and it's the proposal. But the proposal is kind of like, you know, whatever, just because as a guy, you do have a plethora of options, right? You can go on a hike, you can go to a vineyard, you can go to the beach, although the beach is kind of cliche, but you know, you have things that you can do that are proven. The ring, you are effectively flying blind. You know, I went with my mom to the jeweler because my mom and my dad have been married for like 20, like 23 years or something like that. So she had a bit of an idea of what to look for you know the basics of like diamond cuts you know carrot color clarity but we went to the jeweler and he was a local jeweler who was not too far away from where we live and this guy was absolutely the most helpful the most helpful guy he gave us a whole crash course in diamonds and we looked at two diamonds or i like the two diamonds and he pulled out the first one and it's absolutely stunning i mean i feel confident in saying that i don't like to give myself a lot of credit but i picked out a stunning diamond and the the band was you know very easy it's just like it's platinum or silver i think it's silver no i think it's platinum actually i have all the she has all the paperwork and all that shit uh i think it was platinum but you know it was easy no extra diamonds just like the band itself but we looked at the first diamond and I'm like, okay, I want to go ahead and just look at another one just for comparatives. Like, show me a diamond that is lesser than this. And really, I was doing it just so I could compare the price because it's a big purchase. Like, you don't want to fuck this up. You're spending a couple thousand dollars or so on an engagement ring that, you know, your fiance is hopefully going to wear for the rest of her life. Like, you want this to be the right decision. And... I looked at this diamond, I looked at the other one, and I said, this is the one. This is it. And then that began the next two hardest weeks of my life, just keeping this a secret. And I was a little on edge, just because that's kind of how I get when I'm anxious. I do get a little bit on edge. But yeah, fortunately, she said yes. And now this monkey is off my back, thank God. So now we just have to focus on planning the wedding. And now I'm done boring you guys with all of this real life stuff. So... We're going to go ahead and shift into what everybody is here for, and that is commentary on what's going on across the NBA. There really hasn't been much. There was summer league stuff going down, which I didn't really pay too much attention to. In the summertime, I kind of just turn off from watching basketball, unless it's like hardwood classics or something, just because I spend nine months out of the year, or like eight, nine months out of the year watching basketball like every night this is the time for me to go and consume other types of media you know watch movies catch up on tv shows catch up on you know video games this that whatever but that doesn't mean i totally stray away from the news cycle okay you know i keep abreast especially with all of this shit that's going down with kevin durant and kyrie irving it's just you know you can't totally detach from it especially when you're somebody like myself who enjoys making content about this type of stuff it's just you you can't turn it off you cannot turn it off and with that the biggest uh story i guess that's come out recently is that the utah jazz are now listening to offers for 
Donovan Mitchell. Um, you know, briefly was, I don't want to say untouchable, but they went ahead, they moved, they shifted Rudy Gobert, which I did a video on, and, you know, I went ahead and I bloviated about for like 10 minutes or whatever. And that was effectively, I think, the sign that Utah is ready to start the next chapter of their franchise because Quinn Snyder's gone, Rudy Gobert's gone. And now, even though Utah really wasn't a championship contender with Gobert, now that they don't have Gobert, their opportunity to really have a successful um, a successful run in the Western Conference is effectively no longer. I love Donovan Mitchell, but to trade away Rudy Gobert and not get somebody back of similar caliber is it does not bode well for their short their short term ambitions. Of course, they got Malik Beasley, who's a good young player. Uh, they got a whole bunch of draft picks as well, which will pay, which will hopefully pan out nicely for them. But that was that was it effectively. It's like okay, well you know. Ryan Smith or whoever the fuck the GM is is effectively like, okay, well, time to move on. And with that, reports have cir- have begun to circulate that the Jazz are potentially in the market to move Donovan Mitchell. And this story is courtesy of Sports Illustrated. Uh, you know, reports have come from Shams, Woj, all these, you know, different people. But um, this report is a week old. This broke while I was on vacation. So... Stuff, I'm sure, has, you know, transpired, but nothing sizable. I know the Heat have been mentioned, the Knicks have been mentioned alongside or in the hunt for Donovan Mitchell, but let's go ahead and blow through this really quick. At one point during the NBA offseason, Donovan Mitchell was untouchable in trade discussions. However, according to ESPN's Woj, the Jazz have reportedly shown desire to engage with teams in possible trade scenarios for Utah's franchise player. The latest reported news about Mitchell and the Jazz comes three days after general manager Justin Zanuck told reporters that the the three-time All-Star was not, quote, untouchable in the league's free agency period, saying that, quote, change is inevitable in the NBA. I'm not trying to be cryptic or anything, but Donovan Mitchell is on our roster and he's a very, very important part of what we're trying to do, said Zanuck to uh, ESPN's Tim McMahon. Things evolve in the NBA, so I couldn't sit here and say anybody is untouchable. We're trying to build a championship team, but there's no intent there to trade Mitchell at all. We're trying to build a championship team, but there's no intention there to trade Mitchell at all. Well, that's obviously a line out, but uh, just when it comes to the ideas of players being untouchable, there are only a select group of players in the NBA who are untouchable and it's like the s tier of nba player i'm talking guys like lebron Giannis, Jokic, like the upper echelon of nba stars and i mean even that's like kind of unraveled with all the news surrounding kevin durant of course some of this is (coughs) pardon me oh my god some of this is like you don't trade these guys because they're too talented, right? They're the best players in the world, and you're not just going to trade them away unless the offer is so enticing that you can't say no. And another portion, and something that's come to fruition in you know the reports about Kevin Durant, is that it's so it's they're almost untouchable because there is no offer. It seems like that is good enough to satiate the appetite of the GM who is potentially looking to part ways with this franchise player because 
players of the magnitude of LeBron, of Giannis, of Kevin Durant don't get outright traded. It, it simply doesn't happen. So there's no precedent to see what the appropriate haul is. I mean, more recently, of course, there was Rudy Gobert, and, you know, you get four draft picks plus Habev plus Malik Beasley, but what does that mean, the asking prices for Kevin Durant? I mean, there have been reports saying that the Nets want a, an all-star caliber player, a young role player who is who's ready to make an impact right away, another potential young asset, and then a whole bunch of draft picks. And that is the type of cachet that teams just don't have. Like, NBA teams do not have all of these players lying around. So that's why a lot of the times trades like these don't get done. But guys like Donovan Mitchell, um, Zach Levine, Rudy Gobert, DeMar DeRozan, like those kinds of guys are liable to get traded because although the asking price will be a lot, it is significantly less compared to somebody like Kevin Durant. Per Woj, anything is now possible for Utah after the franchise made the decision to send out Gobert in a blockbuster trade to Minnesota for Beasley, Papev, Jared Vanderbilt, Leandro Balmaro, uh, Walker Kessler, and multiple firsts. Beyond Mitchell, Utah is also open to the idea for other potential trades with players on its roster. I was listening to, uh, I think it was J.J. Redick and Alex Caruso on their podcast. And they were talking about Jordan Clarkson being, you know, potentially someone to keep an eye on if all of this stuff does transpire with Donovan Mitchell. Because Jordan Clarkson, former sixth man of the year, at least if I remember correctly, guy who can give you 15, 16, 17, 18 points off the bench. He is the type of player that championship teams want to add because he does bring tremendous value off the bench as a scorer as a very much as a very much improved scorer as well it's like guys like Clarkson and 3 and D guys are the most sought after types of players when building a championship team with Gobert in Minnesota and new players joining Utah it appeared that the Jazz would seek to rebuild around Mitchell and continue to go after an NBA championship instead it appears that more changes could come to the franchise after it began the offseason by hiring new coach will hardy mitchell reportedly did not shy away from his feelings toward the resignation of his former coach quinn snyder who coached him for all five of his seasons with the jazz according to Woj, he was quote surprised and disappointed by the early june move and was trying to process what it meant for him in the franchise last season under snyder utah fell in six games to the mavericks in the opening round of the nba playoffs before reach it, after reaching the conference semis during 2021. The asking price for Mitchell is expected to be expensive, according to Woj. The Quinn Snyder resignation, which is already like almost two months old at this point, was something that I did talk about very briefly, but it wasn't... It was surprising, but the reasoning that he gave behind it was one that... All too many coaches fall victims to or fall victim to. He felt that he took the team as far as he could and that at some point, you know, it just wasn't, it just was, it was no longer going to work. Like some coaches just get to the end of their usefulness with their franchise, whether it's their game plan hasn't evolved well enough, the team hasn't evolved well enough, um, both of which are true with Utah. But of course, you know, losing Joe Ingles, greatly impacted their offense and they kind of just stagnated and Quinn Snyder was ultimately just like hey it's it's time for me to go 
I think that I'm done with this team. There's nothing more I can give. And the fact that he gave, I think, like six or seven years with Utah is way longer than most, than most coaches are useful for. It's usually like three or four years, and if nothing sizable happens after that, the franchise will just get rid of you. But I think it's a t- it's – well, I don't think. I know that it's a testament to how great of a coach Quinn Snyder is. And I don't know if he's still looking for a job. I don't know if, you know, he wants to replace Steve Nash in Brooklyn. I don't know if he wants to maybe go back to being an assistant, but – He reached the end of his usefulness with the team. Now, there really haven't been a lot of reports linking any teams to Donovan Mitchell aside from the Knicks. And of course, that's really not too much of a surprise. Um, Just listen, the Knicks and the Lakers are going to be mentioned with every fucking... uh, You know, that's kind of just the shit that happens with... um, I forgot my train of thought. I'm looking at... I'm trying to find... I'm trying to find the story about the Heat and the Knicks being involved with Donovan Mitchell. But more so, I really just want to talk about the Knicks because they've been the only team that has been like actively linked to Donovan Mitchell. Maybe because of the New York City connection. Uh, I believe he's from Queens. I tried talking about this a couple weeks ago where I can't remember if he was from Queens, he was born in Queens and grew up there, or he was born in Westchester and he grew up in Queens, but either way, he has a close connection to New York City and to Queens in particular, you know, he is an avid Mets fan, (laughs) there was, I forgot, there was this video of a little kid who was talking to Donovan Mitchell, I think it was at a Mets game and just, you know, begging him to come to the Mets, or to come to the Mets, to come to the Knicks, and, um, Yeah, we'll see, but the Miami Heat remain focused on their efforts to trade for either Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell with the team prioritizing the former over the latter. That's not necessarily a surprise. If the Heat are successful in trading for either player, it would almost certainly require trading Tyler Hero. Hero is eligible for an extension, and and his market is unclear, though it could require a max or a near max. If the Heat don't include Hero in a trade this offseason, there's optimism that they will come to an extension. Yeah. So I know that um, the Nets really cannot trade or the Nets can't trade for Hero or Bam because of them being designated for rookie scale extensions and them they also having Ben Simmons on their roster who um, is in a similar you know type of CBA accounting shit. And that effectively rules out Brooklyn trading anybody to Miami or trading Kevin Durant to Miami because they want Hero, Bam... Kyle Lowry or Jimmy Butler. They want some combination of those guys. But I do think that Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks is more feasible. And I think that, you know, it it would be the better trade for them. I'm not, you know, the type of guy who's going to sit here and just shit on the Knicks relentlessly because, you know... I'm not just, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to shit on them, but I'm going to shit on them when it's warranted and I'm also going to give them credit when credit is due when they made the playoffs last year or 2 years ago. I was very impressed by them. I thought they had a good season. Of course, they failed to live up to it uh, the following season, but shit happens. You know, they overachieved a little bit and as a fan of a team who overachieved and went to the playoffs a few years ago, I I kind of know how it goes. But 
you know, I know there are a lot of, of people out there who just shit on the Knicks for the sake of doing it because it gets clicks. It's this, that, whatever. I don't like that. I don't like being a disingenuous asshole. If I am going to troll, I'm going to troll, you know, I'm going to troll just to be funny. I'm going to troll because it's warranted and I'm going to troll in a matter where we can all have a good laugh about it. But I think that the Knicks are very seriously considering trading for Donovan Mitchell. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying that baselessly. I don't have any information to back that up. I'm not an insider. I'm just a guy speculating on the internet. But I look at this Knicks roster, and I see Jalen Brunson, who I think was a very good signing for them. I see R.J. Barrett, who I think is a good young player. I see Obi Toppin, who's a good young player. You have Quickly, Quinton Grimes. You, do, you still do have Julius Randle for the time being, even though they may try to move him elsewhere. You still have Mitchell Robinson. The Knicks have a very good young team. However, their ceiling with Donovan Mitchell, or their floor with Donovan Mitchell, I should say, is higher than their current ceiling. I do not look at this team and see a franchise player. I don't believe that Brooklyn, that Brooklyn I don't believe that New York has a franchise player. I thought they would. You know, drafting R.J. Barrett out of Duke, I still think that he is a good player. I think that he can fit well on a, you know, a mid-tier playoff team. But it's been three years. He's been in the league for three years. He just averaged 20 points, six boards, and three assists. I don't know if he's going to make some incredible leap this year because he hasn't yet. Every year has been incrementally better. But at this rate, if he maintains this level of production, he is not going to be their franchise player. He will not be able to be a number one on a contending team. And I think that that's kind of the consensus among, you know, people who cover the Knicks, among Knicks fans, is that at this point, R.J. Barrett is a good number two, a really good number three, and someone who does make your team better. But how much better is the question? Of course, there are still a lot of questions concerning him, and mainly it's his perimeter shooting. I think that if he does, you know, go back to two years ago and shoot at like 38, 39, 40%, which he has done in the past, I think it drastically opens his game. But I don't know if his ceiling is what it was coming out of Duke. Donovan Mitchell is already better than R.J. Barrett and will maintain a higher level of production than R.J. Barrett will. Of course, the Knicks still run into the same issue that they have if they keep R.J. Barrett as their number one, and it's the fact that they still have to surround Barrett or Mitchell with guys who will be able to maximize them. Trading for Donovan Mitchell, which is going to be a sizable package, which I do think the Knicks will have to part with a couple of their young guys, whether it be R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson or whether it be Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin, Utah is going to look at those four guys and maybe throw Quentin Grimes in there as well. Utah is going to look at those five guys and pick and choose who they want to bring back. And I do think that R.J. Barrett is going to be at the top of their list because he is the best of these young players. Now, Let's say they do trade for Donovan Mitchell and they trade RJ Barrett. Um, the, 
fuck, I'm gonna, I didn't realize I was gonna have to do the salaries. But let's say that just for all intents and purposes, they trade Evan Fournier uh, to make the salaries work. They trade RJ. You know what? Fuck it. Let's actually. Let's go to the trade machine. I'm over here looking like a big, dumb, stupid idiot, man. And I have the power of the ESPN trade machine. So let's go ahead. We're going to add the Knicks. Uh, where are we? We're going to add Utah. 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 And we're going to see if we can't make this work. Donovan Mitchell. $30 million contract. So right away, we are trading. Actually, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give the Knicks a little bit of credence here. I'm going to offload Julius Randle for them. Because the Julius Randle contract is one that I think Knicks fans despise even more than Evan Fournier because it's longer and it's for mo more money. So now, how do we complete this trade? Well, we're going to throw in R.J. Barrett. Uh, we're also going to throw in... Fuck it. I'll throw in Emmanuel quickly as well. Figure a couple picks just to make the salaries work. Now, there is going to have to be someone to make the salaries work. I think that Jared Vanderbilt, you know... Good enough gets traded just to, you know, make sure that the salaries match. So we're going to try this trade. This trade is successful. Okay, so the Knicks get Donovan Mitchell. They get Jared Vanderbilt. What does this roster look like now? So they still have, um, they still have Obi Toppin, I think. I forgot who I traded. Yes, okay. God, I'm so fucking stupid. They still have Mitchell Robinson. They still have Jericho Sims. They still also have Jalen Brunson, who I think is going to be critical for them going forward because he is going to operate as their number two for the time being. So now, where are you at? Well, if you're the Knicks, you are now effectively the Utah Jazz East because you have Donovan Mitchell, you have Mitchell Robinson, who is just a non-French Rudy Gobert at this point, and then you have a good crop of young players. You're still going to need, you know, I'd say another 3 and D guy just because you can't have enough of those. Uh, maybe you try to finesse Jordan Clarkson as well. You know, maybe you say, hey, fuck it. Let's just, you know, take everybody from the Jazz. You throw Jordan Clarkson in there. Uh, where is he? Am I dumb? Is Jordan Clarkson not even on the Jazz? Okay, fuck it. Whatever. So fuck Jordan Clarkson. Pardon me. Not not actually fuck Jordan Clarkson. I think I think Jordan Clarkson's a fine player. Okay. So just disregard just forget that I even fucking mentioned Jordan Clarkson. But that's who you're gonna have to try and bring on. A Jordan Clarkson type player. And now I think that the greater question is where does this put you in regards to being a contender? Because you have Jalen Brunson now. Okay, and Jalen Brunson is like, what, 24, 24, 25, something like that? He was born in 96. Okay, so he'll be 26 this year. He'll be 26 in August. You have Donovan Mitchell, who was born in 95, so he's going to be 27. Or either, I think he's gonna, he's either 26 or going to be 27. So your trajectory is pushed forward a little bit, but you still don't have a complete team. I think that 
the Knicks with Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson is good enough to be the fifth best team in the Eastern Conference. But the Eastern Conference is so good that they could be, they realistically could be as high as number four or as low as like eight or nine because you have Charlotte. You have Atlanta, who's going to be very good this year with DeJounte Murray. Of course, you have Miami, you have Brooklyn, you have Milwaukee, um, you have Boston, who's going to be uh, top three, you have Philly, like Milwaukee. The top half of the Eastern Conference, I think, is effectively already decided between Miami, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Miami, wait, between Brooklyn, Miami, Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, like, I think that those five teams are going to be the five best teams in the Eastern Conference. It's just a matter of where are they going to be? Because all of them are talented enough. All of them have good enough teams to be the number one seed. But injuries happen. Bad luck happens. Losing streaks happen. Like, and then, you know, throw Atlanta in there. I think Atlanta has a chance to be, like, a top three team as well. But ultimately, I think the... the the um, short-winded way of what I'm trying to say here is that, yes, the Knicks can and they should trade for Donovan Mitchell. I feel that they should do that. But if it happens, I hope that they have the foresight to have other deals in place with Mitchell being the contingency plan. Because you don't want to bring in Donovan Mitchell and not have any other deals lined up, and then you've effectively just wasted a year of him because you lose all your leverage in that situation because teams know that you're going to, going to be in a mad rush to compliment Donovan, Donovan Mitchell adequate, adequately, and they're going to use that over you. They're going to use that to make sure that they give you the least advantageous deal possible. So I'm thinking that behind closed doors, the Knicks and the Jazz come to an informal agreement on a package for Donovan Mitchell. And then the Knicks go out and they sniff around and they see if they can get any other deals facilitated before that. So that way, Leon Rose or whoever's doing the transaction can go back to Justin Zanuck and be like, Okay, we have our other guys. Let's make this happen. The only thing that I feel, though, is that that is a lot of manpower. That is a lot of brain power to facilitate multiple deals at once. And I just wonder if, again, the degree of difficulty of trading for somebody like Donovan Mitchell, if that is the cause of everything eventually just falling apart. But long story short, I like Donovan Mitchell. I think he fits well with New York. Even if you were to take him and you were to transplant him onto this team as it is, which is impossible, it will not happen, I think that he fits in perfectly well. Because the Knicks this summer, they went out and they got, they filled their biggest hole, which was not having a legitimate point guard. They had guys who could handle the ball. They had R.J. Barrett. They have Evan Fournier. They have Julius Randle, but Julius Randle is, you know, more of like a point forward, if that. But they never had a legitimate point guard, but now they do. Jalen Brunson is a legitimate floor general who can command the team in a half court. And that is not in Donovan Mitchell's 
wheelhouse. I mean, it is. He's capable of doing it, but I don't think he's best maximized as a player like that. He's best maximized when he can get the ball and just worry about putting it in the basket because he is a far better scorer than he is a playmaker, and he's a damn good playmaker, but you're looking at a dude who's averaging like 25, 26 points a night, and do you want them to be able to do that unobstructed? So... Oh my god. That shit picked up on the microphone. That's crazy. I turned the mic like damn near 180 degrees. And it still picked up. Okay, anyway. We're going to move on from this. We're going to move on from Donovan Mitchell. We're going to talk about... um, The second biggest story. And that was... DeAndre Ayton. So, if you guys remember... DeAndre Ayton... Does not get an extension with the Phoenix Suns. They let him walk in free agency. He gets a four-year, I think it was like a $133 million contract or something fucking crazy. Yes. <coughs> Holy fuck. Suns restricted free agent center DeAndre Ayton is signing a four-year, 133-max contract offer sheet with the, with the Indiana Pacers. His agent... um. Bill Duffy, fucking, you know, whatever. He then returned to the Suns. The Suns, who, and I I exclusively remember getting this notification, and Shams was like, the Suns have made, the Suns have made their intentions clear that they planned on re-signing DeAndre Ayton um, at some point during free agency, they made it clear to him that they want to re-sign him. No, the fuck they didn't. Shams is just spreading misinformation at that point. He is online spreading misinformation casually. The Suns, the Phoenix Suns, made no intention. They did not make it clear that they wanted to bring DeAndre Ayton back. Because if they did, they would have re-signed him to his max contract before the season started. Which they did not want to do. Because they they said they did not feel he was worthy of a max contract. I'm fucking up the verbiage there. I don't recall what they said precisely, but they're effectively their messaging to him was, "We don't want to pay you. We don't feel you're a max contract player." And then DeAndre Ayton hits free agency, and he's a good enough player to command a decent chunk of change. You know, twenty five, twenty six million. So Indiana, who at this point has nothing to lose, they're like. They present him with a four-year max contract, $133 million. I think in total, or his um, his average salary, I think, was like $33.25 million a year. They present this to him, and they have nothing to lose because they either get DeAndre Ayton, although it would suck for him because uh, Indiana, fucking, they're going to fucking stink it up this year because they have no other... Uh, good players or at least good players who can be good now they either get him or they force the Suns to match which the Suns did so the Suns which I think wound up paying more for DeAndre Ayton than they would have if they just agreed to you know negotiate his extension are now locked in to this massive contract Uh, the article continue wait a minute Oh, fuck. I don't have... This isn't the article. 
Um. Yeah, man, that's fucking. That that was the big thing. That was the thing for me. Was when Woj was when Woj was when Shams was like, "Oh yeah, the Suns have made their intentions clear all throughout free agency." Yeah, they made their intentions clear that they wanted or that they seemingly wanted nothing to do with DeAndre Ayton, which I thought was fucking insane because I get that he is not. He's statistically, I understand, he does not have a max contract body of work. He averages like 17 and 10. He isn't a premier shot blocker, although he has gotten better on defense. I think we have to give him that kind of credit. He has evolved as a, as an offensive player as well. He is someone that Phoenix can throw the ball to on the block and he make a couple plays throughout the game. He is, and I think this is the most important part of his game, he is not reliant on having a point guard feed him his buckets like Clint Capella or like Rudy Gobert. DeAndre Ayton is somewhere in the middle of the modern day center where you have Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, and Carl Anthony Towns on one end. And then on the other end, you have Steven Adams, Clint Capella, Rudy Gobert, guys who are almost entirely dependent on their teammates to get them buckets. And then the other end are guys who are effectively the focal points of their team. DeAndre Ayton is in the middle because he's not a superstar, and I don't think he has superstar trajectory. But he is an above-average player who can create buckets for himself and can create opportunities for himself. I think that he will get to a place where you will be able to rest Devin Booker and whoever your secondary star is and run your offense through DeAndre Ayton. I don't think it will be the most effective game plan, but in terms of game management, where you have a small lead and you're trying to maintain, DeAndre Ayton can assist you in that regard. And then, of course, there is always the chance that he gets better defensively because at least like he has the physical attributes. He has the size. He has the athleticism. It just comes down to effort, which has improved tremendously for him since coming out of Arizona. And then it just comes down to understanding how to play the center position on defense, how to maintain verticality, how to pick and choose the types of shots that you want to go up and block and do you want to put yourself in a situation to foul. But ultimately, um, you know, it. this looks... This looks worse for the Suns because they neglected to sign him in the beginning and then they let the relationship deteriorate. And I don't know if DeAndre Ayton would have given them a sizable hometown discount, but the difference between paying a guy $33 million and the difference between paying him $25 million, that's $8 million that you have left to play with when it comes to re-signing or signing guys like Jay Crowder or campaign and you know you're already paying all this money to Chris Paul because he got that fucking bloated extension you're obviously going to pay Devin Booker 200 million dollars I don't think there was any you know there was no there was no way that wasn't going to happen but yeah what a fucking what an insane turn of events for DeAndre Ayton and he he tweeted before uh I think it was early Tuesday or on Tuesday it's like I'm happy to be in Phoenix you know I was drafted here I've you know lived here for however many years and you know ultimately I think that DeAndre Ayton at least for the Suns he's a he's crucial to their game plan at this point because he's been there for three years or so he's developed into a 
very he's developed into a good player and you're not replacing his production i think that is ultimately one of the one of the factors that made phoenix come around is they had all these all these months they had an entire season to evaluate to evaluate deandre ayton's um to evaluate his productivity and you look at him and you look at the rest of the center market you're not replacing what he's giving you. You're you're just not. He's not one he's not someone who's easily replaceable unless you're looking to make a deal for Capella or Steven Adams or somebody like that. Or like JaVale McGee. But JaVale McGee isn't giving you the same amount of minutes that DeAndre Ayton is giving you. So Yeah, I I mean it was a good signing. It was just it was just it was so fucking funny watching Shams be like, Oh yeah, this was the Sun's plan all along. When it very clearly was not that was not their plan. Now something that's come out, uh, something that came out today actually Monday morning or Tuesday morning. I don't even know what fucking day it is. Um, so there's been a lot of hubbub recently between the Lakers about Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. Uh, there was a report a few days ago that came out that said Russ and his longtime agent have split over, uh, I guess, irre- irreparable. Uh, differences in his future and i think you know maybe russ wants to stay in la and his agent was like no don't stay in la it's not the best situation for you and you know this that whatever but this report came out and um says the lakers are no closer to trading away star guard russell westbrook now than they were at the start of free agency and while that could possibly change before the season starts i don't think it will LA stars are at least preparing for the possibility of playing together next season. LeBron, AD, and Westbrook reportedly had a phone conversation where the trio, quote, expressed their commitment to one another with the hopes of making it work for next season. I know this isn't how it played out, but I just love the thought of LeBron coming back from dropping third, from dropping 40 on, <laughs> on an amateur hooper at the Drew League and Rich Paul calling him being like, listen, bro, you got to call Russ and AD and just let them know that you're ready to make it work. And he just like, let's have a huge sigh and dejectedly walks over to his phone. And he's like, Russ, AD, I am expressing my commitment to making things work for next year. Because like, ultimately, listen, that's just a joke. I don't think LeBron is like dejected at the fact that he's going to spend another season with Russ and AD. I think that everybody knows that effectively there is no way that Kyrie Irving is getting traded to the Lakers. And that's a pipe dream at this point. So instead of moping around, they're just going to sack up and, you know, make it work. And I think it also helps that, you know, he is LeBron James and he can almost by himself bring this team to the postseason. It's just that AD and Russ are going to have to elevate this team to being an actual contender and maybe the front office not fuck off and, you know, effectively mortgage their bench and trade away all of their good role players. But especially in this Western Conference, uh, the Clippers of the Clippers are loaded. The Warriors, of course, Phoenix, uh, Denver is getting everybody back. They're getting the gang back together. They're going to be fully healthy. There's just no reason to like for the Lakers to sit around and be dejected when they still have all this time to look back on last season, see where they went wrong, and try to fix it. That may sound as though Westbrook could be a Laker again next season, but the call was done to ensure all three players still had the same goal in mind while they're on a team together. 
It was also likely organized to quell any reports suggesting that LeBron and Westbrook's relationship has been frosty, especially after both attended LA Summer League games in Las Vegas and didn't interact once despite sitting across from each other. I don't give a fuck about shit like this. We like it doesn't matter. What I don't understand is like you understand this if you work a regular job. You don't have to like your coworkers. You have to tolerate your coworkers because you have to work together. You don't have to like them. You have to tolerate them. You do have to be friendly with them. Like you don't want to be a fucking asshole to your colleague because you see them, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week and you know, as much as you as much as you hate your job, you still have these goals that you're trying to you still have these goals that you're trying to achieve. It's the same in athletics. These guys don't have to be friends with one another. Okay? Especially when you are like a high profile celebrity. And I would imagine that a lot of these guys try to keep their friend their group of close friends as clo- as small as possible. Because the more people you let in, the more chances there are for bullshit. And you just don't want to deal with it. Like you're LeBron, you're Russ, you're AD. You already deal with enough bullshit. Like you have people like me. You have people like me fucking off, making jokes, uh, memeing, trolling. Like that's you got to deal with that every day. You don't want to deal with additional bullshit. And then you, of course, got to deal with your family. Like not you don't have to deal with your family, but like you have a family that you have to look after. You have young children that you have to look after. You got all these different things going on. Like you have other shit that you have to worry about. I don't care if LeBron and Russ have a frosty relationship or they didn't acknowledge each other at Summer League because I know that once the season rolls around, all of that is going to change. They are going to try to work together to win a championship. Okay, Everyone knows that Shaq and Kobe did not have the best relationship with one another, but it worked because they won three championships. Okay, Michael Jordan, notorious asshole, probably was not you know friends with anyone on the team. But they made it work. They won six championships together. Like sometimes you just like you don't you don't like your coworkers. It's just how it goes sometimes. This report is just the latest in what was a tumultuous season for the Lakers, which ended in disappointing fashion. LA failed to make the playoffs or even secure a play-in spot as Westbrook's fit on the team didn't go as the team envisioned. In- injuries to James and Davis stunted any chemistry the trio tried to build. And at the conclusion of the season, the Lakers fired Frank Vogel just two years removed from winning a championship. This is another thing. I don't know if LeBron is like harboring resentment towards Russell Westbrook. I don't believe that he is because ultimately it wasn't LeBron's decision to bring in Russell Westbrook. It was the front offices. LeBron, as we already talked about, this was a few months ago, but you know, Magic Johnson came out and effectively blamed LeBron for trading for Russell Westbrook. When it was the front office who said no to DeMar DeRozan and decided to take that same package and send it to Washington for Russell Westbrook. It was the front office who did that. I think that LeBron was set on being teammates with DeMar DeRozan because DeMar fits better than Russell Westbrook does. And the front office fucked it up. Front office made a trade that they should not have done. And I don't think that LeBron harbors resentment towards Russ, towards Westbrook. Again, I think that they're friendly with one another. I mean, you know, they're both NBA, they're both stars in the NBA. They deal because now they have to. And there's no, again, there's no point in like sitting around and being upset if you're LeBron that you got Russ instead of DeMar because at the end of the day, 
even though it hasn't worked with Westbrook quite yet, there's no saying that it can't work if the Lakers decide to rework their game plan. Darvin Ham was brought in to replace Vogel, and as much as the new head coach has talked about Westbrook being an important piece of the team's success for next season, the former MVP has been brought up in trade scenarios all summer long. The most prominent trade package sees Westbrook heading east to Brooklyn in exchange for Kyrie Irving, who would be a more ideal fit for the Lakers. However, it has been reported on multiple occasions that the Nets do not want to take on 40 Westbrook's $47 million expiring for next season and would require a third team to get involved if the Lakers want Irving, per Mark Stein. There was this one thing that got tweeted out the other day that said that the Lakers wouldn't even get Kyrie. They would just be a stop for him on his journey to San Antonio, which I think is fucking awesome that the Nets would do that to Kyrie Irving after all of, after just all of the shit that's gone on between those two parties. And they're like, oh, you want to go to L.A.? You'll go to L.A. for one fucking day. And then you're getting on, you're getting on a plane. You're going to fucking San Antonio. You can hang out with Coach Popovich. And be <laughs> you can be the, the number two to Keldon Johnson. Top it all off. Westbrook recently parted ways with... Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. With no concrete trade avenues opening up right now, it only makes sense for the team... To also prepare for Westbrook being on the team again next season, if that's the case, then L.A. will have to hope Westbrook can adapt his style of play to better fit alongside LeBron and AD. This is one of the things that like really puzzles me about NBA players. Um, in particular, guys like Russell Westbrook, guys who just like can't shoot and have never developed into good shooters, like, why? Why is he still not a good shooter? Why is it after all these years that it just doesn't click for him? Because if he were a 35% shooter from three, we would not be having these conversations. He would be playing alongside LeBron and AD perfectly. He would be spacing the floor for them. He would open up the offense, but like he just can't, he just doesn't shoot well. And I never understood that. I never understood how it was someone like Jason Kidd, for example, can go his whole career being a piss poor three point shooter and then literally just wake up one day, go play for the Mavs and shoots like 38%. Why has that not happened with Russell Westbrook? Because I know he's putting in the work. I know he's shooting like a thousand jumpers a day during the summer. I know that he's, his work ethic is not shoddy and that he's, you know, attempting to become a better shooter. Just why does it not work? I never understood that. Um, yeah, I really don't have any. I'm actually like really. I'm actually really tired of talking about Russell Westbrook because I don't have anything more to contribute to the conversation. I don't foresee anything happening with him and Kyrie Irving. I don't foresee anybody being traded, and I just like I don't care, man. I I I I I don't care. What the fuck's going on here? My Yahoo. This this Yahoo page is literally is actually freaking the fuck out. Okay, it's, it's back to normal. That was so weird. So, okay. We're going to close out the show talking about Kevin Durant because why would we not? I'm just going to wait for my frames to stop dropping and then we'll be good. So, let's hear. Let's hear from Woj. Okay, just kidding. We're not doing that. That was odd. 
All right, so I'm just going to read this to you guys like uh, like it's a bedtime story. So the title of this article, uh, title of the article is, oh my God, this fucking shit. Woj shares the latest on the Kevin Durant trade. Um, effectively, the latest, I'll just read this quote from him. The Nets are still trying to find a deal for Kevin Durant. I think if KD came to Brooklyn and said, hey, I've changed my mind, I want to be here. I'm committed to this. Well, of course they'd want him back. But if Kevin Durant's not doing that, you're still trying to trade him. You want players who want to be there. You don't want the environment to be filled with players who are unhappy, who don't want to be a part of it. I mean, this isn't even really an update. This is just common sense where if obviously obviously you want Kevin Durant on your team, regardless, even if he doesn't want to be there, even if you're holding him hostage, you still want him to be on your team because he's Kevin Wayne Durant. He's a fucking beast. He's one of the three or four best players in the NBA. And he's the type of talent that doesn't come around that frequently. And this is where Brooklyn's at. They're doing their best to ensure that, you know, they don't trade KD unless the situation absolutely calls for it. And I believe that's where they're at. There haven't been many, you know, sizable updates on this situation because because there's like there's only a short list of teams who can make a trade for Kevin Durant. There was an update today where the Nets said or or someone said that the Nets won't engage in trade talks with Toronto if Scotty Barnes is not present. And they can make these demands. They can demand to do this. They do not have to trade Kevin Durant, okay? He can stay and he can be unhappy. But even if he's unhappy, he's still going to perform well. That's just how it is. That's who he is. So I I would be gen, genuinely shocked if anything came of the situation. I think that Kevin Durant is going to be a Brooklyn Net uh, for this upcoming season. I don't know about going forward, but I think that for this season, KD and Kyrie will be on the team. The team will look to contend for a title. They added TJ Warren. They added Edmund Sumner. Um, I think that everyone in the league is kind of expecting that Kevin Durant does not be traded. And I, if there are no sizable, um, if there are no meaningful updates to this story by August, I think that this ship will have sailed. I don't think that the Nets will do anything at that point because by then I feel that all the other teams across the league are kind of going to shift focus and, worry about the team that they currently have in front of them and how they could best maximize those efforts going forward and with that i'm gonna wrap up the show for today it felt really good to be back thank you guys so much for coming to hang out with me today if you're watching this um on twitch follow the twitch channel i go live every tuesday at 2 p.m eastern also be sure to subscribe to the youtube channel where i upload various clips bits and bobs from the show onto there everything i'm associated with is down in the description below instagram tiktok uh twitter all that good shit if you're listening to this on a podcast platform go ahead leave a rating leave a review subscribe do whatever you got to do be sure to tell a friend about it if you enjoyed the episode also tell a friend about it if you did not enjoy the episode because all press it's good press once again thank you guys so much for coming to hang out with me and i'll catch y'all in the next one